0: I got involved at Riv uh, probably, I've been working here for like five or so years, but probably got involved as a high schooler, right out of high school, really.
1: I've been at Riv Westside since it started. Previous to that, I had been born and raised in the church, and then I took a vacation for a few years, (laughs) kind of like 27, and then I came back to the church.
2: Well, I became a Christ follower in 91, and I started, uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church and not being disparaging, but just wasn't really feeling it there. And so I had some friends who were going to Riv um, back when they met at the Kellogg Center. I was born in 1930, so <laughs> I'm so. 90
3: plus. There you go. <laughs> but I give thanks every time I sit down. It's, I am blessed more than anybody. Yeah. I've been going to Riff for I think about eighteen years, but uh, I live in the church. Yeah. And I'm glad the church lives in me.
0: There you go. Awesome. I love that. Yeah.
4: I was born in two thousand two. <laughs> but, uh, so, <laughs> I originally got into RIV when we moved here, and uh, sorry TJ, you break your heart, but my mom made me go to chaos. Ooh. Yeah. Made you go. Yeah, but I loved it. I started to love it. Uh, so, after after a few weeks, I like I was like, Mom, can I go? Can I go? Please, can I go? I was raised Christian, but you don't really, you don't listen to your parents. You have to listen to someone else. So, then that like brought me more to Christ, and... I just, learning more about grace and then giving grace, really just, yeah.
1: When I was a young kid, um, my dad was in the hospital for two years. He came out of the war and he had tuberculosis. And it was, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. She wasn't working. It was the church that basically pulled us through. So the community aspect of church to me appears much different now than it used to be when I was younger I mean everything was the church you know the family the friends the
2: support the help and how you do community is very different like you said I mean community was literally community now you can have community with
1: well and, you know, a, a different families live more depth, in, so, in yeah. a group and and closer why are you laughing dick are you laughing at me you can't believe what it was like when I first started going to church. Well, you aren't that much older than <laughs> I
3: am. Right? Well, when I was going to church, I wore knickers. Oh, well, you are that much <laughs> well, <when> knickers, <laughs> I wore knickers. Well, I still wear shorts. My, I see I had that. my first pair of long pants when I was confirmed at 14. Well, wow. So the, yeah. dress, the dress code is different in church. Oh, the dress code is definitely different. <laughs> because
1: church everywhere... Anybody went to church put on their best. Yep, and I can remember my parents saying that, that getting dressed up was a, sh- a sign of showing respect sure. for God's house. Exactly yeah. It. Yeah.
3: When I first came to Riverview, I saw a knoll up there in shorts barefooted. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked my son, I said, are you sure we'll want to go to church here?
4: <laughs> I think it's interesting you guys say that because I, like when I was little, we'd always dress up, like you said, and like look our nicest and best. Yeah. And I had no idea what I heard, mm-hmm. and then just going to like Riv, like it, it is less like I guess dressy, but like I feel like I'm absorbing more, and I'm listening, and I'm like, wow, like like this is this is well, gross. and I
1: think you're right. What we would have considered dressed up back then, or what I consider, might be totally different for someone.
3: What's important is your goal. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep.
0: I think what at the base of it all is like getting past that that piece. Right. I mean, there's time. I take my hat off when I go to my grandparents, and sometimes when we're praying, I leave my hat on because there's sometimes I want students to know that God does not require that for your heart to be right. open for to, for Him to hear you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's whose you are, yeah. you know, more than what you wear. So I think joining church
3: groups or ch- church people is it, a, a big plus. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I like to go to Bible study, not just to read the Bible, but just, just to interact, communicate, yeah. Yeah. more than anything yeah. else with them. Sure.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You can't, pick you can't and choose. You can't do do that. You.
0: Yeah, but nobody said there was any rules. So. <laughs> you <laughs> you try,
1: you. make yeah. them up as you go, man.
0: <laughs> this continues down that same track, though. Did you have, um, did you have, or do you have a mentor or someone you looked up to?
2: So when I first started coming to RIV, um, I was, gosh, I think it was 21 at that time. And uh, I connected with Paul Denherder, uh, one of the original pastors here. And Paul and I would get together and go to lunch. I mean, like hundreds of times we went to lunch. And Paul just spent time with me, yeah. uh, you know, just tons and tons of time with me. Which was just, it's really, it really was so foundational for me, you know, so. I
1: think that's huge. We live in such a fast-paced society, and we aren't necessarily that great at setting priorities, and that's what it takes to be able to to communicate, especially the gospel times. You need to have time with them. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, know, you can't develop that relationship and hit them over the head with the Bible, right. you know.
0: Tell me about your mentors, huh? Huh.
4: Hmm. I would say (laughs) one of them. (laughs) I don't know. know. You might know. No, just kidding. TJ. Oh, I didn't
0: know it was me, actually. I thought it it was somebody else. (laughs) Uh,
4: I I thought, yeah. uh, No, stop. No, (laughs) No, but no, mentorship-wise, like, Emma for sure. um, She just always, she was there for me whenever I needed her, which now doing the same thing, I'm like, I don't know how she did it. Because, like, it's just the amount of time is crazy. Like, I remember texting her at, like, 1 a.m. and being like, Emma, oh, like, this happened. Like, I don't know, like, what to do. And she'd text me back. And I'm just like, what? Like, I didn't think someone could love me so much to reply. And in a timely fashion at 1 (laughs) a.m. And now, like, thinking I'm like, I would so do the same for, like, the girls that are in my group, too. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if they texted me and they needed something, like, heck, yeah, like, let me, like, reply now. And so, like, I think that just, like, built so much. Like, I'm loved, so, like, let me outpour love to other people. And I don't know if I would be giving as much, like, grace and love and time and commitment to things if I wasn't given that.
0: Mm. The amount of conversations we've had, you know, about commitment for this very reason. You know, if Paul took you out once, you wouldn't be talking about him. Right. Even three times. Right. And if he didn't call you into something you know, maybe you would be, but it'd been a, it's a, there's a missional piece connected to the, why we do the thing and why we look, you know, mentor and why, you know, we look to be mentored. And, you know, when we talked about leading is like this awesome thing, which has been a vision of what we do and handed down from Riv. Um, she talked about that. Yeah. Thanks for being leader. But it looks like you got a question there.
3: This one. What do you see as a unique challenge in this generation that you didn't have in your life?
1: Yeah, let's skip that one.
4: Yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds interesting.
1: <laughs> Young people today, I lo- I look and watch, and even like when I talk to my grandson or like you have so many options, you have so many inputs. You have so you know, how do you know what to choose and what to believe and and what to go with? I mean, unless you have someone mentoring yeah. you or guiding yeah. you. It's Which, just
0: They say Generation Z is uh, endless information with virtually no mentors. You know, there's no dinner table anymore. Actually, people are getting rid of their dinner tables all the time. because People don't eat at dinner tables anymore. Mm. There's just less and less of that. And so, although that's a unique challenge, I think that that's a a unique opportunity too. It's -hmm. super easy as a person now that has two kids to invite other people to our house and say, hey, come eat Mm -hmm. at the table, you know, or come eat and um, experience family. You know,
1: I just think that if we would talk to each other more, we're more open and understanding. I think the olders are more open and understanding than the youngers hmm. think we are. And then maybe we're totally wrong about that. We don't know because we don't talk to them much, you know, or, you know, I don't want to impose on the youngers and say, OK, this is the way it should be.
3: I think be- the older you get, the more forgiving you are.
1: Yeah, I agree. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, Dick. You're right. Yeah, because you realize you've been a mess all over the place. And what's nice about a small group like this is is you can be open and you can talk. And we don't. We just, whether we're older or younger, we try and run around church looking like we're all these wonderful things. I'm just a messy mortal out there just hanging out, you know.
3: I don't know anybody in the church that's older than me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, We're working on it. We're working on it.
3: It's always a blessing to me to be around people like you. Amen. Hello.
5: All right. Well, thank you for bearing with us this morning. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brendan. I was a, an intern here in church leadership um, over at the Holt venue, similar to Greg here at Rio, if you've met him. Awesome guy. Um, and now just helping out on staff here at Riv as a volunteer. So before we get going this morning, I want to do a quick exercise, okay? So what is something that was better in 1980 than it is now, okay? So we'll put these up here. Hopefully you can see that, give you time to think about it. All right, we're gonna start with an easy one, okay? Right? Okay. So, next one. What's better now? Navigation, right? (laughs) Okay, so has anyone ever seen... I was able to dig one of these up. Has anyone ever seen one of these? (laughs) Or used one on a road trip? Right? So... (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you, like, look at this. There's maps in here, and you're holding this while you're going on a road trip, right? And it's like, all right, we're going to Florida. Let's flip the page when we get out of Michigan into Indiana, right? I was talking to Tom this morning, and he was like, when's the last time you used one of those? And I said, never. <laughs> okay? So, but navigating the Bible has never been easier as well, right? Ability to access, um, look up words, commentaries, different resources, super simple, Okay? next one (laughs) (laughs) where's this one gonna go okay (laughs) now this is me speaking okay if you if you got a chance to check out pastor noel's message a while back on buckets of belief okay these are my buckets (laughs) all right but for me, it's hard to debate, right? You think about, like, Queen, Billy Joel, Eagles, Cool and the Gang, Fleetwood Mac, Kenny Loggins, I can keep going, all right? Next we have... <laughs> okay. So here. Now, I couldn't find a phone from 1980. So I don't know if anyone ever had one of those. They kind of look... they're about this size, All right? <laughs> So they're definitely not fitting in your pocket, the big antenna, right? So this that I have now has all of the records, right? All the CDs, all the maps on it. For me, it's hard to argue, all right? Next we have uh, movies. All right, for me, okay. I mean, think about, like, The Shining, Star Wars, Caddyshack. Those are all-time classics, okay? We'll do one more. Hopefully you can read it. All right. So this one's going in the middle because mullets were just as amazing in 1980 as they are now. Okay? So, as we were going through these, just in your head... Were there any that you disagreed with, or at least thought there could be some debate on that, right? You're thinking, no, mullets have been terrible always. (laughs) I'm guessing there could be some debate on at least one of these things, right? Because as time passes, and trends change, and styles and genres change, technology changes, um, and we engage with these things on different levels, realistically, we have a variety of preferences, experience, and fluency with these things. I work with college students from teenagers to seniors who have varying levels of preference with online learning. So this happens in anywhere um, where people of varying ages come together. So households, colleges, the church. So as we live in that tension, as we're going to talk about this morning, it's okay to hold certain positions, because as we're going to unpack, we can hold them humbly Because of the greater person and work of Jesus on our behalf and the mission that we're called to by him. So if you're just joining us, we're going through a series at Riverview. You kind of gathered at this point. Um, We are unpacking the mission statement and core values of Riverview. Now the mission of Riv is at Riv, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. So over the course of the past month or so, we've been going through the core values, the six core values that have been developed over the past year or so, uh, with this morning's core value being multi and next generational. So to expand this a bit more, at Riv, we believe the local church is made up of multiple generations. For the gospel proclamation to continue beyond ourselves, we unapologetically invite older generations to lay down cultural preferences and pour into the next generation. The church is the strongest at the intersection of the wisdom and experience of olders and the passion and innovation of youngers. So let's start with the first couple parts of this. The church is made up of multiple generations, and we unapologetically invite older generations to lay down cultural preferences. Now that's inherently challenging sometimes, right? It was interesting. Pew Research did a study on respondents ages 16 and up on generational differences since the 1960s and Woodstock, which apparently was a time of significant generational differences. I don't know why I wasn't there. But the survey respondents did acknowledge some real differences, okay? So among two areas, or, or among all the areas that were surveyed, there were two major areas that stood out, and I wonder if you can guess what they are. Music and the use of technology. Things that come up sometimes in a church experience, right? So, in our everyday and every week decisions, there's different ways we can implement these things, styles, and preferences. The reality is that we're living this right now. We sang a song this morning that had the lyrics to Amazing Grace in it, which was written over 250 years ago. And then new renditions, like we saw, have been adapted as styles change and they connect to people in different ways today. We have questions like, what does digital ministry and connection look like? And should we advance the gospel in digital spaces? Is online church church? To a younger generation that values and finds connection through stories, what role do stories have in the weekly rhythm and content of the church? In a time where we're longing for community, How do we foster authentic and organic spaces where people can care for one another and grow together? Where does something like Zoom fit in? So unlike gas prices, these questions of what's better are a little bit more challenging and tricky to navigate, right? Especially as we desire to care for people in every generation. We're missing something when we're not gathered together in a live setting and this technology has opened up opportunities to study the word of God together and grow in our relationship with him and one another. Right? These are real questions that bring the dynamics of generational differences into focus. And while they might be specific for our current age, the underlying tension is not new for the church. So that's where I want to start in the text this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 4:12 to start where we get a glimpse Of the intergenerational dynamics of the first century church. So, here the Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege and companion Timothy, who he charged to provide leadership to the church in Ephesus. Okay, so as Paul addresses some of this tension, he issues a response that paints all of their differences in light of the greater person and work of Jesus, and he calls them to action. So he says, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So I mentioned in this verse, we can see the early church wasn't immune to the temptations and generational differences. Some people here were apparently looking down on Timothy. They were older than him, looking down on him because of his age. And we don't know everything about what that entailed, other than the fact that he was young and assumptions about what what comes with that. Maybe in their minds he was too young and therefore inexperienced or it was an issue of their own pride. And while this was olders to youngers, I think our potential for the opposite can equally be true. I think our culture sometimes does the opposite where youngers are tempted to look with older people with contempt. Has anyone ever seen those progressive uh, car insurance commercials where they say something like progressive can save you from becoming your parents? Okay, I've heard mixed reactions to those, but the people in the commercials that are becoming their parents are depicted as lame and outdated and obsolete. And as we think about inviting olders to lay down preferences and pour into the next generation, I think that's a little bit of where we can get off track, taking this to mean that olders are obsolete or naive to trends or are being left behind, and that's not at all what the value is. Because as we're going to unpack a little bit later, the church needs the wisdom and experience and faithfulness of older people. So the challenges are there. But let's go back to the first part of this value and include the part we left out. For the gospel proclamation to continue. So as we seek to live out this value of being multi and next generational in a constantly changing world, the gospel proclamation remains the same. And it's the essence of our pursuit to be multi and next generational, right? The truth that in love for us, Jesus came as a man, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, overcame sin, Satan, and death, and reconciled and redeemed us to God is still true. And what it means for us compels us into how we can live this out in three ways. So you'll see on the screen, because of the truth of the gospel, we're united as a family across generations. We're called to mutual cross-generational humility, and we're motivated to proclaim the gospel to the next generation. So starting off that we're a family, let's look back again at what Paul says to Timothy. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So he says, set an example for who? The believers. The Greek, wa- the Greek word Paul uses for believers has at its root the Greek word for faith. And it essentially means everyone who has believed the gospel and put their faith in Jesus. So in a situation, in 1 in Timothy here, where the dynamic of generational differences is a factor and there's an imbalance between people, Paul identifies them all as believers. Every person in the church shares the same identity in Christ. I think sometimes when it comes to the coming together of generations, there's a possibility for us to be unknown to one another or misunderstood by those outside of our generational demographic. And with that, the temptation to feel like those outside aren't part of the group that really gets it or is in, just like the progressive commercials. And this wasn't the first time that this group of people in this church had received a reminder of their shared identity in Jesus. So a couple of years before Paul wrote this letter, he wrote another letter to the same group of people reminding them of that truth. And it's the letter to the Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, maybe you know this verse. He says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. And the you here is plural. It's you all. And through faith, It's the same root word Paul used to Timothy when he said, set an example for the believers. They're all saved and they're all united and they all share an identity in Jesus. And none of them have a reason for pride or to look down on one another because their identity is a gift from God. So Paul goes on to explain in Ephesians chapter two here what this means for them. Starting in verse 11, he says, so then remember that at one time, You were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility." Now, to be clear, he's not specifically talking about generational differences in this. Okay? He was talking about Jews and Gentiles who had major differences over the Mosaic law from the Old Testament, and the differences were serious. And he says, apart from Jesus, you were truly separated and divided. I mentioned being unknown and misunderstood. The words that Paul uses in this passage refer to being a stranger or a non-participant. And while he's referring to Jews and Gentiles, which, by the way, Timothy's father was a Gentile, his mother was Jewish, so this estrangement was true within his own family, I think this can absolutely be true of us relating to one another, older to younger, and vice versa. Youngers and olders can become strangers and non-participants to one another and to the overall mission of living and proclaiming the gospel if we lose sight of what Paul says here. Jesus' sacrifice is true for all of us who believe, and it pulls us from being once far away from God and one another into him and into each other. It takes both groups, Jews, Gentiles, older and younger people, and tears down the dividing wall of hostility and bonds us in peace. So Paul goes on to say in verse 19, "...so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers." but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Or another way to put this, we're a family. The meaning of the word household here carries a meaning of being known or belonging to. So in God's family, we're meant to be known and belong. Now, with that being true, Think about your own household or family for a second. Does anyone here have a household where everyone agrees on everything or you all have the same preferences in common? No, right? But you're still a family, regardless of how messy that's gonna function sometimes, right? So about a month ago, I was attending service at the Holt venue and I had my four-month-old daughter with me. Um, So we got there early and we sat in the back because, you know, You never know what's going to happen with her. So a woman comes in and sits down in the row in front of us, and she starts asking about my daughter. Um, So we're talking about being a young parent, and she shared that she was going to be a grandma and that her daughter, who was due, was coming to sit with her, and we had a really good conversation about family. So the service starts, and we stand up for the music, and I'm holding my daughter kind of facing forward in front of me like this. And at some point during the music, I didn't catch it, she had spit up on the woman's coat that I had been talking to, got it pretty good, okay? So after the music, I let her know what happened, and thankfully she took it really well. But I think this is what it can look like when we truly seek to live as a multi-generational family, right? Sometimes we're going to spit up on each other, literally or figuratively. And I think there's something profoundly beautiful about moments like that when we're brought together by the unity we have in Jesus through the gospel as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. So as I've talked to some of my non-Christian friends, the stumbling or spitting up of Christians in their life has been a challenge to them fully trusting in Jesus. I have a friend who struggles to believe the past and present stumbling can truly be completely forgiven. If that's you this morning and you haven't yet chosen to believe in Jesus and trust him with your life, I hope that you can look to and believe in his love for you and for them who spit up and stumble when he died on the cross to forever clean up every one of those and give any chance to get up and keep going. So because we're a family, we're called to the second point of mutual action toward one another. So we'll we'll look at 1 Timothy again. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So remember, this is for the believers. Everyone is involved in this. Everyone should be this way in the way that they speak and conduct themselves toward one another. Now, of all the words that are mentioned of what to be in this passage, I want to focus on the word love. Now, the Greek word for love here is agape. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's an unconditional, sacrificial love, regardless of the merit of the one receiving it. It's not based on feelings or emotions, but is a love, a deliberate choice of serving with humility that can come at a cost to us. And this love is how God loves us and proved it to us through Jesus when he laid down his life for us on the cross. And we see this in scripture in examples like John three sixteen, right? For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, right? Or Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or 1 John four nineteen, We love because he first loved us. So while there's a universal posture we all should have in love and humility, there's specifics for younger people and older people. Remember, the church is the strongest at the intersection of the wisdom and experience of olders and the passion and innovation of youngers. So for the young leader, Timothy, Paul says, don't let anyone despise your youth. Now, as I was thinking about that, it didn't really make sense to me because you can't really control if someone is despising you, right? But commentators wonder if Timothy had some second guesses about himself, especially as a younger leader. So youth in this context was applied to people until they were about 40. So we have a relative idea of Timothy's age. So I wonder if Paul was writing this because Timothy had some self-doubt. So before the first message that I ever preached at Riverview a while back, I was talking to one of the pastors, um, just talking through some of the weight I was feeling with it and questions. And he said, you know how you're the right one to preach on this Sunday? Because you're the one doing it. (laughs) I think that's some of what Paul is saying to Timothy here. He's saying, you're the one for the job. So set the example. For young people, if you've been placed in the position, do it to the glory of God. Utilize your gifts for the kingdom and let your life be an example of Christ to everyone. Older people can benefit by looking at younger people and getting a picture of the character of God and how creative he is. As young people, like we mentioned at the beginning, find new creative ways to bring the unchanging gospel into the cultural current and youngers, as you exercise your position, Paul gives some instructions on how to do it well toward older people and fellow younger people in the church. So in 1 Timothy 5, he says, "'Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, "'younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, "'and younger women as sisters, with all purity.'" So for leaders in general, but I think for Timothy here as a young leader, there's a potential to abuse the position. So Paul's saying, don't do that, And your audience matters with who you're talking to, right? And within a family, there's different relationships, and so different communication styles depending on who you're talking with, right? Parents to siblings. If anyone has siblings, you know how it goes. For older people, maybe you can think back to an opportunity in your life where you were inexperienced or not quite feeling ready. You probably could have used encouragement or belief from someone who had been there before, right? Right? Paul in this situation has placed Timothy here because he believed in him and he's using this letter to reaffirm that. So older people in the church, that's what you can be for younger people and they need it, but it comes in relationship. Paul had a relationship with Timothy to be able to speak into him and remind him of what's true. I mentioned earlier, the church needs your wisdom and experience and faithfulness because there's merit to the idea that those things come with age. So when younger people look at older people, they get a picture of the character of God and his steadfastness and his faithfulness and his wisdom. So older people use that humbly to guide people and lift them up. When I serve at RIV, I'm always grateful to hear the experiences of people who are older than me, especially if they've been around RIV a while, just to hear how that's gone. They're a living example of the gospel for me. And they're a calming and confident presence for me to keep going in my faith despite life's challenges. And they're an inspiration for me to be the same because thirdly and lastly, the gospel of Jesus is the essence of our desire to continue proclaiming it and teaching and equipping the next generation of those who will be the church. So if it's true that in Jesus we're a united family and called to the same love with which he loved us, let it be true of us and move us in love to share the gift that we've been given. It's meant to be shared. I think a major place that this takes place is in our immediate families. So we look at Timothy as the example here. We know this was the case for him. In the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. So Timothy was raised with the truth about God, and he had living examples of it in his life. And maybe that's not the case for everyone here, right? We didn't grow up with living examples of faith in our home. But for those in Christ now, that can absolutely be true of us going forward. Naturally, kids watch people older than them, right? If any of you have kids, I see kids out here, your kids probably just watch you all the time at home, right? And younger people look to older people as an example of how to be. My daughter does that. When I'm moving around the house, she'll already just watch me and trace me as I go around, right? And we see this in Scripture as well, with Joshua and Moses as an example. Moses lived through a lot, And Joshua and Moses spent a lot of time together. So when Joshua looked up at Moses, he saw a picture of the character of God's faithfulness as Moses had walked with God over the course of his life and got to tell him stories about how God was faithful to him. I mentioned Timothy's mother was Jewish. And for devout Jews, there was a passage of Scripture all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. It was the most ancient Jewish prayer that they ever said ever since it was written as a daily reminder to themselves about God. So we just finished our Apostles' Creed series. It was kind of like their Apostles' Creed. They would say it every day, and it's called the Shema. And it was crucial to the daily rhythm of Jewish people, and I think it absolutely has something to apply to our lives as well. So it's in Deuteronomy 6. It says, listen, Israel. Shema means listen. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So again, Shema means listen. But more deeply, it means allow the words to sink in provide understanding and generate a response listen and meditate on the truth of who god is and go live in light of it the israelites would voice this because they wanted to faithfully live it out so if jesus has taken a hold of your heart and you want to know more of him and you're hungry for him and his word voice him Talk about his word. Remind yourself of who God is and what he's done for you. Remind your kids. Make him the center of your life and family. What do you wonder about God or what are you learning about him? Pew Research did a different study on the longevity of people's faith who continued faith into adulthood, looking at the households that they grew up in, whether they were households of faith or not. And numbers were highest in the people who grew up in a home where faith was discussed consistently. And it doesn't just happen formally at church, but in all of the little moments of your life together. Because not only does it shape your own life, it affects your ability to disciple other people. There's a book called Gospel Fluency where the author argues that the way that you develop in a language is you speak it. I mean, that makes sense, right? So we think about the gospel as a language. By enjoying and talking about God together in our home, we grow in being able to share him with the world also. And this is part of RIV's mission statement. We invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus. So in your life, what do you enjoy? I'm sure people can find out by what you talk about, right? Now that I'm a parent, I understand the need to want to show people pictures of my daughter all the time. It's just like a thing that happens. I can't even control it, okay? Now, immediate family is crucial, but it's not the only thing. And I don't want to understate the value or importance of young people having someone older than them, other than their parents, pour into them in the church. LifeWay Research did a study that found that teens who had five or more adults from the church invest in them from ages 15 to 18 were less likely to leave the church after high school. And this can be pretty simple. Just by learning somebody's name and asking a simple public question about their life And then following up on the answers to that the next time you see them. And you do that a few times, and then you just continue to develop a relationship with somebody. So usually the ratio we have here is there's one adult leader to multiple students, right? But what if it was the other way around? I think about the church that I grew up in with my youth pastor that I had to be able to be vulnerable in my faith and talk about my life. But I also think about the people who would come to seek me out on Sunday mornings when I was there. I knew people were going to come find me and ask about how things were going. And we see this with Timothy. In addition to being raised in his faith by his mother and grandmother, he had Paul, who came alongside him and raised him up as a young leader for the sake of the gospel. Now, for us to truly live this out is probably going to require something from us because the natural tendency of people is to group themselves with who we're similar to. That's just naturally what we want to do. So, by spending time cross generationally, we live out the gospel proclamation in a countercultural community as we interact with and love our church family with all of the differences and challenges that might come up in that. And it goes back to Riv's mission statement again. At Riv, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. It's like the Shema. It's something that we, not, we don't just want to say, we want to live by it. So some practical ways to do that. Last week, we announced the rollout of new mid-sized groups here at Riverview, maybe like 20 to 35-ish people, starting in the fall. They're called Riv Communities. Now, they are what they sound like. They're communities. And if you haven't yet and you have questions, I would definitely encourage talking to Justin or one of the pastors here at Riverview. But with the inherent difficulties that are just natural and that young and old people don't spend time together in a lot of the same spaces, these communities can be an awesome opportunity to truly live this out. Or you might prayerfully consider stepping into RIV Kids and helping out with the kiddos here at Riverview. We talked about the picture of God that we get from youngers and olders and creativity and energy and faithfulness and wisdom each one offers something valuable that we can learn about God. To help complete that picture, I think with kids, we get a picture of the character of God in humble authenticity, right? Kids are just free to be who they are. They don't hold it back. And they ask some of the most profound questions about God that we can learn and benefit from. I think sometimes we get caught in our faith being something just really serious and goal-driven And so, the joy and playfulness of kids is a helpful reminder that God made us to be that way, especially in the freedom that we have now in Christ. Now, sometimes kids might need a reminder to rein it in a little bit, but more than that, they need someone to help them know and enjoy Jesus. Or maybe it's student ministry, or pre marriage, or marriage enrichment. We have men's and women's Bible studies happening here at RIV with people from across all different ages. They dive into the Bible together and spend time with one another. Maybe it's women's mentoring. When I show up to the production meetings before the services here at Riverview, it's awesome to look out at the people that are there that morning and see people serving in a variety of ways, whether it's audio, band, um, serving on a camera, whatever. There's people jumping in from all different ages, and they're spending time together that morning and serving together in the church. Maybe it's digital ministry. Now, Pastor Steve Summerlott, if you don't know him, the bald guy that prayed at the end, okay, over at the West Side venue, who's 70. I got permission to share that, by the way. Was talking recently about some young people that he's seeking to reach for the gospel, and they communicate over the app that he called um, the one with the yellow ghost thingy. <laughs> so if you can think Snapchat, right? Now, while he's not fluent in Snapchat... He stepped into that space where these young guys are that he's seeking to reach for the gospel and build a relationship with. Because the bottom line is people need Jesus. And again, for us to step into spaces with them may cost us convenience or preference or comfort. So to wrap up, I just want to finish with one more story. I was talking to my mom recently who didn't become a Christian until later in life And she was telling me that when she was little, um, maybe 10 years old or so, her parents would drop her off on Sunday morning at church. They would drop her off, they wouldn't stay. And to this day, some 50 years later, she remembers the names of the people who knew her name and tell her that they were glad to see her and would give her a hug or tell her that they missed her if she wasn't there on a given week. And I asked her what impact it had on her becoming a Christian years later in life, and she said it was everything. Because when she was there, she felt like she mattered and that she was loved and that she belonged. And that's what I pray for us with this value. So let me just do that and pray us out this morning. Lord, as we live with the questions and the tensions of the day, with music, technology, whatever. I pray that as we navigate those, it can be fundamentally true of us to step into spaces with each other and know one another and belong in your multi-generational family and proclaim Jesus to one another as we live out the good news of what he's done for us. Amen.